Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the 66 to 87 podcast. Uh, this is Tom Reed, uh, joined as always by Dave Molinari, and we will have uh, DK Pittsburgh Sports con- Hockey contributor Danny Shirey on a little bit later to kind of take a look at those underlying numbers and and the analytics of, of what the Penguins are doing, Dave. And what they're doing right now is pretty impressive. Uh, you know, we're, 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 uh, we're recording this on Thanksgiving. So of course, happy Thanksgiving to everyone that celebrates the United States out there. Um, and, uh, a four game winning streak, Dave, that they, they pretty much, uh, can beat anybody in Canada. They haven't seen Connor McDavid yet. And Calgary's a, another animal, but just about everybody else. Uh, but when you look at this team, Dave, uh, Traditionally, we think of the Penguins as this kind of high-scoring outfit. They have nobody in the top 50 in scoring. Uh, Jake Gensel weighs in at 57. Again, we're recording on Thursday. Uh, Sidney Crosby really hasn't gotten going yet. Um, Beyond Tristan Jari, who we'll get to in a minute, what is it about this team that has kind of turned it around a little bit and got them right back into uh, playoff position? Well, uh, Jari certainly is the the biggest factor in in their success of late. Um, they've also been playing better in front of him defensively. They're certainly not flawless by any means, but but better, uh, closer to the the way that Mike Sullivan wants them to play. And, and they've gotten pretty consistent scoring from their their bottom two lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. Evan Rodriguez, as uh, we speak today, has seven goals in in his first 19 games. Uh, Danton Heinen has six. Teddy Bluger has five, uh, as does Brock McGinn. And, you know, those uh, numbers aren't going to put them in in contention for the Rocket Richard trophy or anything like that. But but that's pretty good output from from guys who are on your bottom two lines. And it, it kind of makes up. Uh, for some of the offense that hasn't come yet from uh, their more traditionally productive forwards. Yeah, and and I, I was very impressed. <clears throat> We're going back a couple games, but how they 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 played Toronto. That was a Toronto was as hot as any team in the league, and they've 
they've they've not only got, as you mentioned getting the timely scoring uh, spreading it out through the lineup but have also really committed to a defensive game and and, and have been able to uh to kind of play it any way you want it right now I, I, you know Toronto to me is one of those teams I have noticed that are, are trying to play a little bit different way play with a little bit more edge which is unlike the Maple Leafs of the of the this era right now with Austin Matthews I was really impressed with how how they they played and again it seems like they can um, they can do a lot of different things to find a win yeah it's uh you know that I think is a, is a credit at least in part to the coaching staff yes uh, but also you know ultimately it's the players who have to execute no no game plan is any good if it's not executed efficiently so uh, but yeah, they've they've been willing to make the commitment and and the sacrifices that that are necessary to play well defensively. You know, to uh, put put themselves in in front of shots. Uh, Jason Zucker was really hobbled by one that he took off the right foot uh, Wednesday in the Vancouver game, and you know that that's not the first time you're going to see a. Uh, a penguin go to the bench you know, or dressing room in his case in obvious pain after you know putting himself in front of a shot, but uh, especially when the Penguins uh, top guys aren't going the way you would expect. And with, with Evgeny Malkin still out of the lineup, if they want to continue to collect points and climb back into the, a playoff spot, uh, that's what it's going to take. Let's dig a little deeper with Rodriguez. Uh, he's a guy that when when I saw him last year, I was kind of like, "This guy's not bad. He he he's he certainly deserves a jersey. Is you know play hard, uh, competes, and now given a little bit more of a showcase, uh, certainly at the beginning of the season where he was playing first second line minutes because of all the injuries. Um, I really like him. I, I I not only he definitely stays in the lineup. I just I just think he's a he's a pretty useful utility player. Yeah, that's I mean versatility is is one of his great assets. You you can use him at center where I think he has played his best this season. Uh but he also won't hurt you if if you use him on the wing, either wing for that matter. And uh you know, it will be interesting to see what becomes of him uh when Evgeny Malkin returns. Uh, you know, assuming all of their uh, their other that uh, Crosby and Carter and Teddy Bluger remain healthy, which is a big assumption with this team. But you know, uh, with as well as Rodriguez has played at center, you'd like to keep him there. But those are four guys, you know, ahead of him on the depth chart that uh, I don't think he's going to bump out of the middle. So it, it will be kind of interesting to see where he settles in because. You know, based on his performance to this point, he certainly has to be one of one of your twelve forwards. Yeah, well, maybe he could be the backup goalie, Dave, uh, because it doesn't seem like Mike Sullivan is willing to use the guy no. that's that that that's in that role. And I want to talk a little bit about that before we go to break here. Um, Tristan Jari, I mean, you know, it's we've we've talked about him so much in the off season for maybe the wrong reasons and so much. Uh, for the right reasons uh, to start this season, he's been excellent, but it's raised an interesting issue. When you think about the start of last season, the, 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 the uh, COVID shortened uh, 21 season, 
Uh, neither goalie got off to a very good start, right? It, Jari didn't play well. Neither did Casey DeSmith. Uh, but they kind of figured it out. Uh, you know, with falling behind the way they did, it seems like Mike Sullivan right now is just riding and dying with Tristan Jari. And Casey DeSmith, when he gets his odd chance, has not played well. I worry about this long term. If, if you know, they, they've, they've got to find a way to get DeSmith in the lineup and, and get him performing because you don't want to overtax Jari in an 82-game season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I thought that the Vancouver game Wednesday would give them a, a good opportunity to get the Smith into a game. You know, they were they were playing a team that <clears throat> had only won one of its previous seven games uh, that was struggling in, in just about every facet of the game, except uh, perhaps for goaltending, which was one thing that, you know, wouldn't have a direct impact on uh, on the penguin goalie. Um, so I thought that was a, a pretty good chance to get him back in, maybe give him a little margin for error. If his game is, is still out of sync uh, as it has been uh, for most of the limited uh, playing time he's gotten this season. And, you know, given their place in the standings, I, I can understand Mike Sullivan, you know, wanting to try and get every possible point, uh, but, you know, the, the days when uh, and Eddie Johnston will play every game for his team in goal are long gone. You need a backup who you can play, you know, possibly uh, 15, 20 games at least in, in a given season, you know, and, and have him do a good job. And, and that's an awful lot to expect of a goaltender who, who's getting into a game once a month, uh, you know, it's, it's just, you can practice as hard and, and as often as you want, but there's really no way to replicate game conditions. And, you know, if, if they want the uh, Smith to, to get his game back to the level that I think they, uh, they believe he's capable of, they're going to have to find ways to, to get him into games. Yeah. Uh, only Jack Campbell, as again, we, we were recording on, on Thanksgiving, only Jack Campbell from Toronto uh, has played more games uh, uh, than Tristan Jari. I will say I, I was a little surprised when I called up the stats that there are as a, a handful of uh, of goalies who have played 16 games. Uh, I'm not sure exactly why that is right now. Maybe there are some injury issues, uh, but I, you know, I watch the Rangers a lot, and they're in the same boat. I mean, they they just are riding Igor Shosturkin. I think they're going to ride him until his growings come off. And I worry about the same situation here with Pittsburgh, that you you uh, you have to start to get Casey DeSmith in the lineup, uh, even if it means maybe he loses a game, but he's got to start playing. That, that To me, that's the main thing. He has to start playing so you can rely on him because it, inevitably there's going to be stretches where your, your goalie's going to wear down, and you certainly don't want that to happen. Yeah, and I mean it's not just a physical issue, you know. That's right. that's a very mentally demanding job, and you know, letting a letting a goaltender have an occasional night off and, and get a different perspective on the game, you know, watching from the end of the bench instead of from in the crease, you know, is a good thing. I I don't think there's any question that that they're going to have to bump up Casey Dismiss workload in the in the you know relatively near future, and you know if 
they come to the conclusion that, that he's not capable of filling that role, then they'd better go out and get somebody who is because you do need a capable backup in this league. Yeah. All right. When we come back, uh, we've, uh, it's Friday, uh, the, the, the 26th, uh, was, is, depending on when you're listening to it, I guess it would be was, is the 30th anniversary of the death of Badger Bob Johnson, uh, the coach that came for one year and delivered a Stanley Cup. And Dave and I will kind of reminisce and talk about what they, what, what uh, Badger Bob uh, meant to, to Pittsburgh and meant to the Penguins, and in some ways still does. So stick with us here on the 66-287 podcast. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. Uh, we, as we mentioned, uh, we will have Danny Shirey on our next segment. Does a nice job with our drive to the net segment, the kind of data-driven stories. Danny's doing really well for us. Uh, but right now, uh, we, Dave and I are going to talk about uh, the life and times of Badger Bob Johnson, his one year in Pittsburgh, uh, as you may know, uh, November 26th. Uh, was uh, 1991 was the date of his uh, uh, Badger Bob died. He was 60 years old. And in his one year in Pittsburgh, uh, remarkable. One season, one Stanley Cup, uh, began the run of uh, the, the five Stanley Cups that we know here in Pittsburgh. And uh, Dave, uh, having uh, been along a long time covering this team, was uh, – Fortunate enough uh, to cover that Stanley Cup run, their first year. Dave, I want to first start off just your your impressions uh, when you think back of, of what Badger Bob uh, meant to this organization and might still mean to this organization. Kind of what comes to mind? Well, I, I'm not sure that that winning a Stanley Cup with a franchise that had never won anything before he got here was even his most remarkable accomplishment. I mean, he changed the entire culture and mindset of this organization, you know, in the course of a year, you know, after decades of not winning anything and of, you know, usually expecting the worst and generally getting it, uh, his positivity, which, which I've never seen equaled by anyone in any aspect of life, uh, really went a long, long way toward turning this operation around. I mean, it certainly helped that they had um, a Mario Lemieux and a Paul Coffey and a Kevin Stevens and a Mark Recchi. You know, there, there was certainly some talent for him to work with. Uh, but he got the most out of that talent by, by changing the attitude, by convincing these guys that despite uh, all of the adversity that had come before, that uh, they were capable of great things. And, and then he led them to a great thing that I don't know that anybody anticipated uh, just a few months before it happened. Uh, Dave, there, there's so many fascinating uh, things about Bob Johnson's life. Um, uh, 
you know, fans don't, I, fans in sports sometimes you look back and say, wow, what a great year. He must have been a great coach. But Dave, even today, there have only been a handful of coaches in the National Hockey League that have come from the college ranks. And this is an American college coach. Uh, and, and a lot of times in any sport, I don't care, football, basketball, you get you come into a professional work environment where guys are getting paid and this is their livelihoods. They often take a dim view uh, of college coaches, and that's the kind of they derisively refer to them as college coaches. We're seeing it right now in the NFL with Urban Meyer. For every Jimmy Johnson that's come in and won big, there are 10 Lou Holtzes who were very good in the college ranks and did not make it in, in the pros for whatever reason. And Bob Johnson, who was this legendary coach at Wisconsin, uh, surprises everybody, goes to the NHL, Calgary hires him. He has a great five-year run there, then decides on his own to go back to USA Hockey. And he is just running – he's the executive of, of USA Hockey. When Craig Patrick, who, of course, we all know the story here, Craig Patrick was part of the Miracle on Ice team, the an assistant coach, reaches out to Bob and says, I'd love for you to coach this team. And he said, Craig, I can't come right now in the middle of the season. This was the year before, of course, when they, they missed the playoffs. But I would do it for you next year. When he gets there, Dave, what was it like? Because in talking with some of the players, they were like, this no one can be this enthusiastic. This has to be an act. Uh, there's no one could be this upbeat all the time. What do you remember when he first got there? Well, my my favorite Bob Johnson story in that regard uh, probably actually happened before he got to Pittsburgh. Uh, he was coaching in Calgary, and it was uh, shortly after, just minutes after uh, the Flames. 11th loss in a row in a game in in Hartford and uh, Bob Johnson gently chided a reporter for asking about that and referring to our so-called slump and <laughs> and I, I think anybody who can with a straight face describe an 11 game losing streak as a so-called slump is uh, someone special and, and I mean that that is just one example of the the way he lived, you know, every second of his life, at least that, that I was around. Um, I was one of those who was quite skeptical that this guy uh, could be as perpetually optimistic and upbeat uh, as he seemed to be. I really did wonder whether he was legit. And it took a few months, but being around him on a daily basis convinced me that, yes, that that really is the way he is. And, you know, he won his players over in, in that regard, too. And that, that was so, so important in, in what that team was able to accomplish, not, not only in the one season he was behind the bench, but in, in, you know, for a couple of seasons after that, he, you know, he instilled an attitude that that just permeated the organization and made an awful lot of things possible. You know, going back to his Calgary days, this is, I, I, I want to say attribute this to Tom McMillan and I might be, I might be wrong, but I think Tom told the story, friend of the show, Tom McMillan, terrific writer and a long time uh, uh, head of media relations with the, the Penguins had just retired. 
I think Tom told me this story, or it may have been Phil Bork, one of the two. Um, so when, when he's coaching Calgary, uh, comes into Pittsburgh, and as you guys, and, and as I think fans know, these teams coming out from out west, they're busy. They, they're, they're, going, they're playing a game. They're getting on a plane, going to another city. They're playing in the next night. So, so <laughs> Badger is, does his morning skate. And a local hockey, a youth hockey coach or clinic runner, whatever you want to call him, shows up after after morning skate and says, "Hey Badger, we're going to have a we're having a youth clinic out at Shin- is Shinley Park, Dave. I'm, I'm yes. telling my okay, Shinley Park. We're we're having something with youth hockey players at Shinley Park. It's at like two o'clock." And you know that most coaches, NHL coaches, would say, "Hey, here's uh, I'll get just get you an autograph stick, raise some money, whatever." Badger Bob gets in a cab, goes out there to Chinley Park, and helps these kids for like 45 minutes, and then comes back and to coach the, the Calgary Flames that night against the Penguins. And that is part of this whole thing of who is this guy? He's like right out of Central Casting of some movie he's like a crazy uncle but all of it was sincere and you could tell as the year goes on uh, that the players buy start to buy into that they see they see that he is legitimately cares about their welfare and is going to do everything he can to get these guys to the next level yeah that's i mean you you made the point uh pretty well there the he you know he sold guys uh you know so many of whom were, were skeptical about him that, you know, he, you know, he believed in them and he got them to believe in themselves and and the guys around them. And, uh, you know, it, he, in a matter of months may made the impossible a reality for the penguins. And the other thing that we sometimes forget, and again, 30 years is a, a long time, and we look back and we know that they won the Cup in 91, and we know they won the division, so obviously it's a good team. But the, that season starts with Mario Lemieux not playing because he, he had had back surgery in the offseason, developed an infection. He doesn't get Mario until mid-January. And even in early March, that team's still not in the playoffs. So on this show, we have in this past year, it's the 30th anniversary. We we've talked about that team. We've we've had guests on. Uh, we've we've talked about the the, the monumental Ron Francis, uh, Ulf Samuelson trade. But that was not a guarantee that they were even going to make the playoffs in March. And yet, once they get the band together, that team was a force coming down the stretch, and then you know winning four rounds. Yeah, I mean, it certainly was the, uh, you know, Craig Patrick, if you would have given him his pick of players around the league to fill the roles that he needed to fill, specifically a center to comp, a good two-way centerman to, to complement Mario Lemieux and a physical defenseman, I don't know that he could have done any better than to select Ron Francis and Alf Samuelson. You know, that... Uh, that trade really did put the Penguins over the top. I mean, uh, Patrick had made a couple of good moves before that, like when he got Larry Murphy and Peter Taglianetti from from Minnesota. Uh, I believe it was in December of that season. Yeah, but, all the same year. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, you gave uh, you gave an artist like Bob Johnson a, a full color palette when you made that trade with Hartford and uh, he certainly made the most of it, you know, a few weeks later after that trade, 
they won the first division title in franchise history, which is saying something because they'd been around for about a quarter of a century. And, uh, you know, a couple of months after that, the Stanley Cup. And and again, going back to the positivity part of it, you know, from the from the from what I understand, from the very day he gets there, uh, when he's named coach, he walks into the building, and and his his his, his son Mark, who of course, uh, oh yeah, he happens to be one of the great American hockey players of all time, is is part of the Miracle on Ice team, scoring two goals against the the Russians in the memorable game. But he comes into Pittsburgh. <laughs> And saying we got we got get some banners, we got to get some banners in those rafters. And and people who had followed this franchise is like, what is this guy talking about? Does he know where he's coming? And we never win anything here, you know. That, that's the Steelers and the and the Pirates. They, they win stuff. We're just if we're above five hundred and make the playoffs, we're happy. But he seemed to have that belief in that franchise that the franchise itself did not have. Yeah. Um, and I, I think probably, you know, the view from, from the outside, he probably saw when he took the job, you know, the previous summer, uh, that, you know, the potential for something was there, that it, it, it wasn't a finished product by any means, but that if you could plug some of the personnel holes that, that Craig Patrick was able to address, you know, during that season, that, that it had the potential to to develop into a at least a contender. I don't know that uh, Bob Johnson or anyone else uh, thought that the Penguins were a serious threat to win the Stanley Cup until, you know, probably after they had won the division and, and maybe even well after that, if only because of the history of this franchise. But, uh, yeah, he uh, he had, a, you know, he had an impact that, that goes far beyond what you would have thought any one individual could ha- could have in a single season. And, and you can't help but wonder what the Penguins might have been able to accomplish uh, had he not been taken from them so cruelly, you know, after a little more than a year on the job. And that's the amazing part is, is like all he, you know, we're, we've sp- spent the last 12 minutes talking about this guy in, in one season and then it's it's just ends it's ends so suddenly. I mean the the players got I, I, from what I understand the players got one last chance to see him when they are out in Denver playing a, an exhibition game out there in the preseason, but fans never really saw him after the parade, and it was over. It was over as quickly as it had started for him. And 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 uh, I know we I, our friend Bob Grove has talked about this. This the so the the night after. After he passes, the first game after he dies, they have the the kind of this uh, this just kind of honoring him, and I'm sure you were at the game. They have the battery operated candles, and Phil Bork tells this amazing story that that they're they're getting ready to play an NHL game, and players on that team are standing in the circle around the center circle, just bawling their eyes out. This how much they love this guy. And uh, what must that scene have been like that night, Dave? It was surreal. I mean, it's, you know, I, I've seen a few games over the years, but I've never witnessed anything even remotely resembling that night. Yeah. I mean, to have, you know, uh, the arena full of, of people holding those, you know, battery powered candles 
you know, in, in a darkened building, you know, to honor him was just, it was uh, quite a moving experience. Um, I'm not surprised that uh, there were players who, who got emotional about that because they had grown to be uh, quite attached to him, uh, probably more so than, in fact, not probably, more so than, than any coach who's ever been associated with his franchise. Uh, the last the point is when, when something like that happens in life where, where someone is really cut down in the prime of their career, and, and as you well mentioned, that, that you know who knows what this team could have accomplished. Gr granted, they win the Cup the next year, but you, know, you would assume that Badger would have had a five, six, seven-year runway with this team. But, but it, 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 it almost reminds me a little bit of the, one of the greatest icons of this city ever produced in, in Roberto Clemente. Uh, now we're going way back uh, into the early 70s, but for our young listeners, Roberto Clemente, obviously the great baseball player, Hall of Fame ball player for the Pirates, uh, is killed tragically in a, in, in, a, in a mission of mercy going home, back to his home to, to, to help out people that were that were stricken uh, I believe it was, it was by an earthquake in Nicaragua, by an earthquake, an earthquake in Nicaragua. And he's going down there. And, and the point is that this is all we, we always remember him as this young, this young, great player. Granted he was getting a little, old, but still this great player that, that, that is cut down in the prime of his life. And so he never really goes old. He never grows old. And Bob Johnson was only 60 years old. Now, he, granted, he may have looked a little bit older, but he was in the prime of his coaching career. And, and that was it. It was one year and gone. And I think it, it, it adds poignancy uh, to the, the legend of Badger Bob Johnson in Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah, it does. I mean, I, I guess on some levels it's fitting that, that he departed a champion. Yeah. But uh... – yeah, it was much, much too early. Not and not only as a hockey coach, but you know, as a husband and a father. You know, sixty is just you know way too early. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, again, the Badger Bob Johnson, uh, the thirtieth year anniversary of his passing on here on the on the twenty sixth this pa this past Friday. Um, uh, when we come back, we'll get back into hockey and we'll be joined by our DK Pittsburgh sports uh, uh, contributor, Danny Shirey, who's going to take a kind of an analytical look at, at what's going on with the Penguins, who are obviously playing a little bit better. So stick with us here on the 66 to 87 podcast. Welcome back uh, to the 66 to 87 podcast. And as we mentioned earlier in the show, we're delighted again to be Shirey, my fellow Columbus man here, also living here in the Buckeye State in the capital city. Danny, how are you doing today? I'm doing absolutely fantastic, and I appreciate you guys having me on again. 
Yeah, I, I hope I hope our readers and our listeners uh, to the podcast have been enjoying Danny's drive to the net coverage. Every week, he uh, kind of delves into a different topic uh, related to the Penguins, uh, kind of an analytical look at it. I think it's been pretty well received. And Danny, I'm going to give you a little credit here. Uh, your your last piece uh, entitled "Every Reason to Believe in Penguins Finishing" kind of forecasted a little bit of uh, maybe the turnaround that, that that they saw on the Canadian swing in the sense that uh, this was a team that was starting that was generating enough chances. Uh, some some high danger chances. I think they were kind of. I think eighth in the league. What was it? Was did you have them eighth in the league in a, in expected uh, expected goal share? And lo and behold, they're they're starting to fill the net a little bit better. Uh, tell us a little bit. Has it just been a market correction? Do you think finally for this group? Yeah, I, I think it has. And and outside of the games against Washington and Ottawa, where they just got blown out, the the almost every game the Penguins have controlled the the lion's share of of the chances going both ways and right now they're ranked uh according to evolving hockey they're ranked fifth in in 5v5 expected goal share now that's not to sit here and say that you know if you've got a positive expected goal share that eventually things will turn around you've got to look a lot deeper than that but from what i was seeing the penguins were in the top 10 in the league in generating their own chances so when that's been a constant throughout the season especially with them missing missing so many people from the lineup, missing Crosby, missing Malkin. And I see that they're still generating these chances and they go, you know, three, four or five games, however it may be, where they're, you know, only putting one or two in the back of the net. I'm not saying that, you know, there might not be an issue there, but I'm more inclined to believe that that's going to correct itself over a longer period of time. And, you know, time and time again, we see it on an individual level as well as a, a team level where, teams are, are basically on the opposite end of the spectrum of, of what the metrics are showing you. And, you know, there, there is a time and a place where you need to say, okay, there are changes that need to be made and, and we need to look a little deeper here at what's going on. But there's also situations where, you know, you just need to trust the process and, and hope that things will come along. And I think that's happening right now. Uh, for listeners, our garage door is going up and down. This is replacing the garbage truck rumbling through the neighborhood. Um, Danny, uh, last season, Tristan Jari, really his first year as kind of being the man, he had, you know, he won plenty of games. The team won the division. But I had had read in the past that his underlying numbers weren't that great. Uh, He was just kind of okay season last year. What are the underlying numbers telling us this season about uh, what our eyes are seeing, which to me looks like a pretty good goalie that's helped them uh, turn things around? Yeah, I, I would completely agree with you there. Uh, the The main goalie metric that I like to look at, and again, it's not a, a one-size-fits-all. You can't just rank goalies based off of this metric. Um, but the main goalie metric, goal saved above expected, Jari is a top 10 starter right now, and, and that's extremely encouraging. Uh, but you're absolutely right that every other season he's played with the exception of one, and I believe it was the 2018-19 season, if I'm not mistaken, was the only season where he was basically breaking even, stopping what was expected of him. And, and this season, um, I believe he's already saved five or six goals over what's expected of him to this point. And, you know, I'm, I still have hesitancy, and I might just be scarred from that postseason uh 
round against the <laughs> Islanders last year. But uh, I'm, I'm definitely a little hesitant to see, you know, if this is going to hold up over an entire season, especially because he's slated to start more games than any other netminder in the NHL this year. So I've definitely been encouraged by his performance this far. I don't know if it'll hold up to this degree for the entire season, but at this point, there's no reason to believe that, you know, he's not going to be able to at least get the job done and, and do what the Penguins need him to do in net. Yeah, it's interesting. I think Ajari and uh, Igor Shoskirkin for the Rangers, uh, th- those teams are in similar situations. I don't think they can really trust their backups right now, and they may just play their starters until their growings p- pull off from the bone. Uh, but but it is a long season. you got to hope at some point the backups start to come on. Okay, here's a question I've been waiting to get to. I'm going to put you on the spot as a representative of the analytics community that I respect so much. But I've had this, I had this discussion in past with Allison Lucan and some other people. And this is about face-offs. And it works out good because you're both a coach and someone that looks at the underlying numbers. I've heard some data-driven analysts dismiss the importance of them. Yes, I know good face-off guys are like at 54% anyway. But to me, it seems like analytics is so much based on puck possession. If you start with a puck, that's a much better thing than not starting with a puck. Where do you come down on this? Yeah, you know, and, and this is something that I kind of go back and forth with a little bit, too, because obviously if you have a if you're on the penalty kill with a minute left in a tie game and you lose a draw and they win it back to the to the point and they throw it over to the Ovechkin circle and they bury it like that, that's a big issue. And you're like, wow, I really wish we would have won that draw. But at the same time, there's so many other micro events that are going on throughout the game, aside from face-offs that are very similar, like those 50-50 puck battles in the corner. Mm. Yes, you, you would like to have you would like to have the lion's share of whatever it may be. But at the same time, I'm not putting a whole bunch of weight into a guy, you know, that's at 52% face-offs versus a guy that's at 48%. And I think the biggest thing is that we tend to um, you know, we tend to latch on to those moments where we can see a direct result from a face-off win. So it's it's super easy to say, you know, that guy really needed to win that draw there, and he's been losing all the big draws, even if, you know, he's a 50-plus percent guy. So I, I really battle with, you know, how important they are. Obviously, you want to win as many face-offs as you can, but I'm just not inclined to believe that, you know, it's something that should have the utmost importance and, and be at the top of mind. All right, go ahead, Dave. Slap yeah. me down. <laughs> no, uh, Danny, is is there anybody uh, from the Penguins who's kind of flying under the radar who might might have had a a better start to the season? You know, based on the analytics that, than people watching uh, might feel just going by the eye test. Well, I mean, at this point, I, I would hope most people that, that are just watching the games would, would know this by now, but Evan Rodriguez has been absolutely outstanding. I don't, I don't know that he's necessarily flying under the radar anymore with, with the amount of goals and, and points he's put up, especially while the Penguins were missing so many people from the lineup. But as it currently stands, I mean, he's, he's driving an absolutely ridiculous amount of offense if you look at where the Penguins are getting chances when he's on the ice, it's it's right at the net front, right in the slot, and they're even just shooting from everywhere. So that's been really important because, like we've said time and time again, with all of these people out of the lineup, even though that they're healthy now, the Penguins really needed that. And another thing that 
has really impressed me with Rodriguez is he's been the Penguins' main driver in the transition game. And I, I noted this on Twitter uh, the other day when they were playing. Every time he gets the puck in the defensive zone, he's got his eyes up and he's finding the lanes where he can just skate the puck end to end. And, and he's really good at getting shots off. Uh, on the rush as well and he's also really good at picking up those trailers so I've been really impressed with uh, you know I've, I've always thought that he was a decent player I never pegged him as a guy that was going to be able to step up in a top six role and do well but I've been extremely impressed with his development so far and it's kind of funny to say development for a guy that's his age but you know it's it is a big development for the Penguins to have a guy like that that they can not only put in their top six but when everybody gets healthy they can throw him back into the bottom six and and rely on him to drive play at both ends of the ice um as, as a guy who coaches the game is there anything about the way Mike Sullivan does his job that you particularly appreciate yeah I, I can definitely appreciate how structured the Penguins are when they're on top of their game. And, you know, when any hockey team is playing an 82 game schedule, there's going to be instances where the system falls apart and guys are all over the ice and somebody made a bad read and it looks absolutely horrible. But for the most part, Sullivan has turned this team into a really good defensive team. Um, you know, they're, they're not seeing as much of the, the odd man rushes against that we've seen in years past. And they've done a really good job of protecting the front of the net. And at the other end of the ice, you know, the Penguins have been able to generate a lot of their offense from their forecheck and really suppressing the, the opposition from breaking out of their own zone and extending that zone time so that they can kind of work the puck to the, those high danger areas and create that offense. And finally, uh, with the understanding that, that things can change and we have to adapt what we write to uh, developments on the ice, what sort of things can the subscribers expect to, to see you writing about over the next week or so? Yeah, so I, I was telling Tom this before we hopped on, but um, that's always subject to change, especially with how many games the Penguins have coming up here. But one thing I've had my eye on and I've I've been itching to write about has been Brian Dumoulin. Um, other than the past few games, which I think he's played very well, and I would even go as far as to saying he's he's played his best two or three game stretch here. Um, but before that, the Penguins were just getting absolutely cratered with him on the ice. Penguins weren't generating any kind of offense. And, you know, even just the eye test, there were certain instances where you saw him turning the puck over, falling down, or even just sprawling out on the ice and letting guys walk right around him. So, and, and he's at the age now where we start to see a decline in, in defensemen, and especially defensemen that aren't all that offensively inclined like he is. They tend to have a bit of a steeper drop off once they hit that 30 years. Uh, mark. So I'm going to be keeping an eye on that. And uh, depending on how the, the games go here the rest of the week and, and how Dumoulin plays, that might be uh, what you can expect next Thursday. Denny, I got one more question for you before you let you go. Uh, I, I'm always interested in, you, you know, with player data tracking now coming into the thing, and, and I think it's going to change it everything for the good for you guys because you'll have so much more data to work with. Is there a number, is there something out there that you would like Oh, I'd love to see this number. If we could quantify this, this would really make kind of the science of what we do in telling stories uh, through data better. Yeah, so we we see a lot of these like um, 
Amazon Insights. I don't know if they're still doing it on on ESPN now, but back last year when NBC had the NHL package, we'd see you know how fast guys were skating or or you know how how hard a shot might be. And I I don't necessarily I don't want to say that I don't care about that information, but I I struggle to see the relevance of how that's impacting on ice results. And I think the biggest thing that's lacking in the hockey analytics community right now is um, passing data and, and even tracking passes because that's not something that's included in expected goals models. You can't mm, look up yeah. passing anywhere. And I, 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 I wouldn't say that having that data is going to, you know, make, make it even more perfect. Um, but it would add a lot of context to certain situations because, you know, we, and I'd even go as far as to saying a guy like Crosby might have, lower expected goal totals um, than you would maybe think for how good of a passer he is. Because if he's battling for a puck in the corner and has got his back to the slot and just throws a no-look backhander to a guy that's wide open out front, the, the models don't know that that play developed so quickly and that that look transpired like that. So I think that that would go a long way to um, you know, fine tuning things, but I wouldn't necessarily say that it's going to be the magic pill that is going to make everything perfect. And that's, that's why it's so important to, like I was saying earlier, yes, the Penguins are a top five team in expected goal share. That does not mean that Penguins are good. They're going to make it to the second round or whatever it may be, but that's when you've got to start doing that, that digging and, and looking to see how these results are coming about. And I said it last time you guys had me on, like it's it's equally as important to watch the game so that you can understand why those metrics are the way they are. Ah, good stuff, Danny. He's Danny Shirey. Uh, read him every week. Drive to the net is drive to the net column. Uh, should be a must read for Penguins fans. Always read Dave Molinari, of course. And for those two guys, uh, I'm Tom Reed, and that is it for us this week on the 66 to 87 podcast. Uh, we will join you next week. Uh, have a great weekend.